that um, thank you that we've been here. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you for that sweet fellowship around your word, which is, is like no other, Lord. Help us to be changed by what we've heard, what we've looked at, um, by the scriptures, Lord God, and by your Holy Spirit as he's been ministering to us, to me, as I've been speaking to us, as we've all been listening, Lord God. Help us really to go on with you to understand about this surrender and this consecration, Lord, that you might be glorified and the body of Christ built up. And help us now in this last session, Lord, to really understand finally what it is that you are calling us to and, and how you will work through each one of us to build up this wonderful, wonderful kingdom of God that we belong to. So we praise you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, family gifts, we've um, kind of come a long way. We haven't really talked much about specific gifts, and that's deliberate, because I don't think that there is a specific itemized list of gifts. I think that Paul talks about spiritual gifts in three places, 1 Corinthians, Romans, um, Ephesians, and then Peter talks about gifts in his, in his first letter. But I don't believe that in any of those letters we're getting a full and complete list. I think that the letter, the people that Paul is writing to, he's concentrating on specific gifts as they relate to the churches, the fellowships that he's writing to. So for me, it's not important to name your gift. I don't think it matters. I think it only matters that the Holy Spirit works through us. Um, that's what he's indwelling us for. He's indwelling us for two reasons, to make us more like Jesus and to witness to Christ in the world through us. And so... Uh, whether we can name our own our gifts is, as I say, I don't think that's important. I think it's important that we allow him to do what he wants to do through us. Um, I think that we have a picture of spiritual gifts. Um, the Holy Spirit comes in, he, we believe, he comes in, and when he comes, he brings a suitcase. And then he sits down, and he opens up the case, and he goes through it, and he says, right, Linda, mm. I'll give you teaching. And Debbie, mm, I'll give you helps. And then we have this picture that he closes the suitcase and sits there and that's it. Now you get on. You get on and do the helping and you get on and do the teaching and he's, he's just going to sit there. That's not what it is. That's not what the Bible talks about. That's nothing like spiritual gifts. It's the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And he manifests himself in whatever way he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, in whatever measure he wants. He does it all. And all he's asking for from us is that we hand over the reins of our lives to him. Now, um, that requires two things in order to do that. It requires you seeing where you have not surrendered. So those areas in your life that you haven't given over and you agreeing, the second thing, you agreeing to give that over to the Lord. Two things. You have to see where you haven't surrendered. And I'm sure that many people in this room have read Romans, 1, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and they have presented their bodies living sacrifices. I'm sure that people have done that here, and maybe more than once. But I'm not sure that we all have all understood that that is a, the start of a process that continues throughout our life and that the Holy Spirit goes deeper and deeper and deeper with us, taking us more and more, drawing us closer and closer to the Lord. You know, the, you've heard this before, but if the sun was shining right through that window, and you, stood, you, you went and looked up close to it, you would see a shaft of light, and it would be full of dust. And the brighter the light, the more dust you would see. 
Well, that's exactly the Christian life. The closer you get to the light, the brighter the light, the more dust you see. And so that's what God will do with us. As you want to get closer, he will take you closer. The Spirit will take you closer and closer, draw you near to God. And as you do, you will see more and more dust, more and more small areas in your life that need to be handed over to the Lord. And as you hand them over, he will enable you to continue to get closer and closer until in the end we're standing face to face with our Lord. And we find, as John says, we do not know yet what we will be, but we know that when we see him, we will be like him. So um, you have to see where you haven't surrendered. You have to agree to, be, uh, to give that area to the Lord. And then when he fills you up in that area, he starts to move in that area through you. He will start to move and to, to witness to himself out or to God out into the world. And through Paul, I think you can see, if you read all the scriptures about spiritual gifts, you can see that although they are to be greatly valued because they are the manifestation of God through us, that what we should value even more is the quality of life that he produces in us. A quality of life that cannot be matched by anything other than the Holy Spirit. I lived in, I think I said I lived in Japan and Hong Kong for 20 years. Uh, Hong Kong for seven and Japan for 14 years. And there's a lot of idol worship there. There's a lot of temples and other things. There's a lot of different types of healing. You will have heard of Reiki healing, I'm sure. Uh, Reiki healing, you can get there in beauty salons, in the hairdressers. You can go into a normal everyday hairdresser and they'll ask you, do you need healing anywhere? And they do Reiki. Um, And they can heal you. I know many people who've been healed. They went in with a really poor shoulder or pain or something else and and the girl prayed for them, laid hands on, on them and they were healed. And they're going around saying, it's just wonderful, they just healed me, it's just so amazing. You can counterfeit many, many, many of the gifts of the Spirit, but you cannot counterfeit the holiness that the Spirit brings. Holiness cannot be imitated. Everything else can be imitated. Demons can do miracles. There can be healings. There can be gifts of, there can be other tongues, other languages. You can, you can speak out, supposedly prophesy the word of God and it can be complete nonsense. You can have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom for, for someone. I'm giving them the biblical names, but obviously they're not that. They're just coming from somewhere else. You can have all of those things. You can counterfeit the, the gifts of the Spirit, but you cannot counterfeit his character. His character is what is being formed in us. And that is only, can only be the work of God. So we are to concentrate, focus our minds on giving ourselves over to his work so that he can make us more like Jesus, so that we can be transformed from glory to glory, so that we can witness, as I said right at the beginning, individually and collectively to the wonderful God, the glorious God that we belong to. Um, So, um, this character that's being formed in us, this way of life, this walk of life, Paul will often talk about it as a walk, walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. What he means is live, live, live in a certain way. And it is that that he, he talks about predominantly in his letters. When you think about all of the whole of the Bible, 
Think about the whole of the Bible. Think about how many verses are given over to the gifts of the Spirit. And then how many chapters and pages are given over to the character of Christ, to his humility, his gentleness, his kindness, his love, his compassion. Think about all of that. Even in this biggest uh, section about spiritual gifts, three chapters in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, even in the midst of that, the biggest section in the whole Bible about spiritual gifts, the middle chapter is not really about gifts. It's all about love. It's about a comparison of gifts and love. So just think about that in logical terms. You know, I was taught when I first became a Christian, I was, take, I was so blessed, privileged to be discipled and then taken to a Bible study that taught you to mark words and to look at the frequency of words in the text and look at what they meant and go back to the original language. And what I was told was that if a word is, is mentioned a lot of times in a, in a paragraph or in a page, you know it's important. So you can open up my first Bible, you can see all green marks in it and red marks and hearts and drops and all sorts of things underlining, but I can look at those pages and I can tell you, you know, Ephesians chapter 1, I know what that's about. That's about being in Christ, in him, in him, in him, in him, in him. It's mentioned over and over and over again. So just think about that. Go through your Bible and read it. Just read it and, and, and just look for the times that it talks about gifts of the Spirit. And then read it and look at the times it talks about holiness and character and integrity and gentleness and meekness and kindness and compassion and all of those things. And you will see that it's not even a... You can't even compare. What does God find more important? What does he ask of you? That you use your spiritual gifts? He had so many opportunities to say, this is what the Lord requires of you, that you get out there and use a spiritual gift. This is what the Lord requires of you. That you walk humbly with him. That you love him with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. So given all of that, the way or the walk, the life of a believer is uh, preeminently, predominantly characterized by love. That is the single word that is used most to describe the life of a believer. Love. John 15 uh, verse 9 to 17. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. If you mark the word love in those verses, I don't know how many times it's repeated, perhaps eight times. It is the, it is the a key word 
in those verses. Those verses are about love, about the fact that obeying Jesus is the same as loving him. They are about love. And that love is the way of righteousness. It's the way that, as I said a couple of times already today, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That love is the way of life that help, that enables us to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Agape love. Agape love, yeah. The Lord Jesus, and uh, when he was uh, baptised, he, um, or when he uh, went to John the Baptist and wanted to be baptised, John the Baptist said, no, no, I can't baptise you. And Jesus says, yes, you have to. It's fitting in order to fulfil all righteousness. That, that fulfil all righteousness phrase is repeated over and over and over in Matthew's Gospel. And it's Jesus saying, this was to fulfil all righteousness. This was to fulfil the word of the Lord. This was to fulfil the life that he was called to live. And now as we're looking at how we are to live and how we are to move and be in the spirit and have the spirit be through us, it is that righteousness, this righteousness, the way of life that is characterised by love and righteousness. And um, as we get to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm just going to read actually from verse 27 of chapter 12 down to the end of chapter 13. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 27 to um, 13, 13. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. I, we have to ask ourselves the question, 
what does Paul, what is God through Paul saying here? What is important? What is it that we must understand? How must we go on? We say we want to live for God. What is, how is he telling us to live? His statement is quite clear. Whatever the gift you have, however the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself through you, whatever your place or position or whatever else in the body of Christ, if love is not the prevailing motive, then it is nothing. It profits no one, least of all you. If I could speak in the tongues of men or of angels, he says, but have not love, I am just a noisy, clanging symbol. Love is the motive. Love for one another. Love for God. The reason that I want to use any spiritual gift, the reason that I want to make way for the Holy Spirit to use me is because I love the body of Christ. I love believers. I don't know why I love them, but I do because God loves through me. Why do I want to pray for you and you be healed? Not because I need to be the person who prayed and you got healed, but because I love you enough to want you to know God's healing hand on your life. Why do I want to give? Because I have been given so much. I want to share that with those people that God has brought to me. Is that the motive for you? Is that the motive that we see in churches, that we see in the body of Christ as it seeks to promote spiritual gifts and and talk about the miracles and the healings and all of this? Is the motive love, agape love, the love that will do the hard thing, do the necessary thing for the person rather than what necessarily will make them feel better on any given day? Even the gift of prophecy, which Paul really championed as a gift for the church because prophecy is is for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ. And he really encouraged people to seek after these gifts that would be good for the church as a whole. Even that, he says, is nothing. What is it? If um, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. Nothing. Imagine if you, if the Holy Spirit worked through you that way, if you prophesied and you moved mountains and you had all knowledge and all wisdom and everybody said, wow, look at that person. Look how great they are. Look how much God's using them. And then you hear one day, you hear God say, but you had no love. All of it was nothing. He's not depreciating those gifts. Paul's wanting us to make way for the Holy Spirit and to be used by the Holy Spirit. But he's promoting love. And he is giving it a place that we as a church so seldom give it. What do the verses remind you of? I mean, as you go through, love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. What does that remind you of? Jesus. It reminds you of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. It reminds you of Jesus. It reminds you of the fruit of the Spirit. 
because it is the fruit of the Spirit. In a section that's, that's talking about the gifts of the Spirit or the manifestation of the Spirit, he's reminding us that the fruit of the Spirit, this love that is patient, that's kind, that's gentle, that doesn't brag, that isn't arrogant, that doesn't take account in wrongs, that doesn't hold grudges, that love is above and beyond the so-called gifts of the Spirit. And he's telling them this in Corinthians, I'm sure, because they've been holding up the gift of tongues as if that's like the end result, you know, that's the superior uh, sign that you're a Christian, that you're spiritual. Love, he defines it in so many different ways, and basically he's telling us love never fails. It is eternal. That is not true of the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not eternal. <coughs> when will they finish? When we all re reach the mature man. Ephesians, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, he'll tell you that um, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16... Um, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for works of service to the building up of the body of Christ. How long for? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. When are we going to reach that mature man, that measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ? When? When Christ returns. <laughs> when we see him face to face. When the church is raptured off the planet and we go and we see our Saviour and Lord. That's when we will have reached the mature man. Spiritual gifts will end, but love never fails. And he says, now we see as, an, as in a mirror dimly. Doesn't he say that? 1 Corinthians 13. Am I mixing up two things? Um, for now we see in a mirror dimly, thank you, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is the greatest of these love? Because love is the expression of faith and hope. It's, is that what you were going to say, Anne? It's God is love. And, and, and the faith that we have and the way that we live by faith and the hope that we have is an, it's an expression of the received love of God that we have already had. Our faith is the channel through which God gives his grace to us. His powerful <coughs> grace. God gives gifts to the family. He manifests himself through us for the building up and the equipping and the encouraging of the whole body of Christ. And he does that so that we grow strong and mature, so that we're able to stand, to witness to the powerful grace of God. That's why he does it. And all of that time when he is working through us, he is building character, changing us, transforming us into the image of Christ. And insofar as we give over ourselves to him, he will continue on and on and on, making us more like Jesus. It's important, of course, to move in our gifts. It's important 
it's important to understand that our local fellowship is the place where God has placed us to witness to him and for him. It's important to meet in fellowship groups and to meet with believers. It's important. And a fellowship group is not an evangelism group. I just want to say that because we get very confused in that. Fellowship, one with another in the body of Christ, is a place where we strengthen one another, where the Holy Spirit works through us to strengthen one another. Of course we are to work to bring non-believers in and to, um, and to witness to them and talk to them and show them the love. But if a non-believer comes into your fellowship and feels comfortable, then you are not doing something right. I really mean that. Why would an unbeliever feel comfortable with a group of believers? Why? Why would an unbeliever feel that they fit right in? Because they don't. They don't fit. They don't speak your language. They don't walk your walk. They don't worship your God. They are different to you. Now, it's not that you can't welcome them in and have, have fellowship with them, social uh, fellowship community with them. It's not, it's not that you can't do any of the things you want to do. Invite them over. You know, look after them, care for them, love them, all of those things. But don't expect to have real fellowship with them. Not the fellowship that the Bible talks about. You cannot. You're not speaking the same language. So you see what happens now. You invite someone because you want them to come and you want them to meet your Christian friends and it's all so lovely and everybody's so kind and they love coming. They love coming. But you are introducing into your group an alien. Well, actually, you're the aliens, but so a normal person is coming in. But do you know what I mean? You are bringing in something else something other. And if you're not all aware of it, then you're not equipped, you're not um, ready to deal with whatever is coming in. You have to understand, not you, we have to understand that Satan is at work in our fellowships towards us. He wants to mess us up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I, w I do want to make sure I'm, I'm not misunderstood because we are supposed to witness for Christ. And of course you're going to have to invite people into your home and you're going to have to talk to them about Jesus and show them the love of Christ. Of course, of course. But don't be under any misunderstanding. They cannot be with you in fellowship, real spiritual Christian fellowship. Why, why can I have fellowship with these three, whoever they are? <laughs> I can have fellowship with them because I first have fellowship with God and Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I can have fellowship with them because they have the Holy Spirit. Exactly. We're all speaking the same language. We might be at different stages on our journey, but we all love the same God and we're all attempting to walk the same way. And now you bring in one or two others and they're not walking your way and they're not loving your God and they're not speaking what you speak. And, and suddenly you find a slight disquiet. Somehow your prayers are not right and something's going wrong and, and your worship and your praise don't seem to be quite right. I'm not saying don't invite them in. I'm just saying when you do, make sure you know what's going on. Mm. That's an opportunity 
Of course, of course. Of course, so you would give them the gospel. All I'm saying is, Barbara, be aware that they're not the same as you. They're not. So don't... Exactly. Yes. 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 Yeah. It's not, I, you know, please don't get me wrong. If, if we're not witnessing about Jesus, if we're not loving people outside of the family of God, then what are we doing really? You know, we are all being very nice to each other, but we're not actually, you know, taking the Lord out there. So it's not that I'm saying don't do that. It's just be aware of it and be aware that... Um, there's probably some things you don't want to discuss when there are non-believers in your group. Be wise. There are some things that are only for the family. Do you know what I mean? You know, we had some family skeletons in cupboards. We didn't tell the neighbours. We just kept it between the family. <laughs> there are some things that unbelievers are just not equipped to understand. We can't even understand them hardly. So just be aware. Be aware. Telling you what he said. <laughs> uh, honestly, honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Linda, Linda was running a new, you know, a, a kind of newcomers group and teaching them all sorts of things. And this guy didn't fit, and he um, he was dead three months later. <laughs> so we're not saying that everybody, you know, yeah, don't go into Linda's group, definitely. <laughs> anyway. Um, that was really an aside, because that's not really what, we, what I've been talking about. It's an aside about being careful, but please be careful. Be careful. And, um, yeah, I, I ha ran a, lots of groups in Japan. I did a lot of teaching and speaking, and uh, I had one group that met in my home every week, and we had a couple of Japanese ladies who loved to come. They weren't believers, and they just loved to come, and they would sit around our dining table, and we'd all chat, and, they really had a nice time and people would bring cake and, you know, it would be just lovely and so lovely. And we spent about five minutes talking about the Lord and about two hours talking about everything else. And after a while I just thought, this is crazy. This is crazy. These, these ladies are telling the people in the group, I just love coming here. You're all so nice and you're all so kind. But we weren't talking about Jesus. What was the point? You know, they were getting American cookies and coffee and, and they were having a nice conversation. But we were going nowhere. And actually, we were not being strengthened. So, yeah. So, um, okay. So, we're going to move in our gifts. We're going to give ourselves over to the Lord. We're going to surrender more and more. We're going to understand that God won't force us to do it. He will ask us. And then he will just wait for us to go along. So, my final question. You'll be glad that I've got to the final part. Um, will you surrender? You know, if you take nothing else from this day, take this. God wants you to surrender every part of your life to him. There is no part of your life he doesn't want. 
He wants everything. Every single part of your life. He wants your health and your wealth and your intellect. He wants your family. He wants your job. He wants every part of your life. And he wants you to say you can take it all and use it for your glory. Now, how you get there, he'll help. (laughs) Because that will change with each person. Yeah, you may go kicking and screaming, but he will get you there. And the only way you would go there is because you really believe that God is a gracious, loving, wonderful father and that he will fill your life with joy if you give it to him. I'm going to finish with um, Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4. Um, This is Paul again. This is one of the uh, things I touched on, I think, um, partway through. Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 1 to 4. Therefore... If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I mean, there are tremendous promises in those four verses. That our life is hidden with Christ in God. That when he is revealed, we too will be revealed in glory. There are tremendous promises of God for us. And there's probably one instruction, one overall instruction. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above, on God on Christ, on a life for his glory. Father, I um, thank you for today. I thank you for the promises that are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. I thank you that if we set our minds on you, you do everything else. I thank you, Lord, that you make it easy for us to go along with your work because you want us to be with you and surrender to you more than we want to surrender. I praise you, Lord God, because you are worthy of all praise and because even though I don't know even a fraction of who you are, you are calling me on, calling me on, leading me on, teaching me about yourself, showing me things about yourself. And I love you for it, Lord God. I love you that you would love me this way. And we are all the same, Lord God. We all want to know you better and love you more. We want to live for your glory. And some things are hard for us, Lord, as you know they are, but you are a God who promises that you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask or imagine. And so, Lord God, that's what we do. That's what I do again and anyone who wants to at the same time in this prayer. Lord God, I surrender myself to you, knowing that you will show me areas that are not yet given over and trusting that you will enable me to give those areas over to you so that I might be filled up, filled up by your spirit, so that I might better live for your glory, and that I might love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, even as I'm being transformed from glory to glory into the image of my Saviour.
Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone who came. I thank you for your love which is poured out in us through the Holy Spirit. And I ask you, Lord God, to remind us that you who began this good work in us will see it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus so that we can be confident, confident that you will do all that you have promised. And I pray, Lord God, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.